This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Hello, and welcome to Instant Genius, a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. I'm Jason Goodyear, commissioning editor at BBC Science Focus magazine. Ever had an aha moment? The point where your thoughts somehow finally coalesce into a revelation? Or have you ever wondered where your creative impulses come from and how they're formed? In this episode, we speak to Hilda Otsby, author of the book The Key to Creativity, The Science Behind Ideas and How Daydreaming Can Change the World. She tells us about the nature of creativity, where it comes from, and how we can nurture it in our own lives. So your research into the science behind creativity started after you had an accident, right? Yeah, that's uh, correct. I um, crashed with my bike. I didn't wear, wear a helmet, so I would uh, use the opportunity to, <laughs> to tell everyone to use a helmet while, while riding a bike. <laughs> and uh, I crashed into the uh, bottom part of... Um, of a bridge, kind of the and the yeah, under the bridge. I was crashing into the bottom part of the bridge uh, head first, and uh, I had to rush to the emergency room. And after that crash, uh, the medical personnel told me I got a concussion. No worries, I would be fine in three weeks. And that wasn't what happened. So I was sick for at least two years I still live with uh, long-term consequences of that crash and uh, people have just recently started to really go into the science of a concussion so we have been talking about a concussion like it's kind of a bruise or something a bruise on the brain kind of thing 
but it can really ruin your life. Anyway, right after the crash, I had a lot of ideas. My head was just spinning. I I wrote down 20 ideas for new books that I wanted to write. I haven't written them all still. <laughs> uh, I was just out of control. Uh, and I it felt like I couldn't sit still almost. I was so energetic. And it was weird. And later on, much later, I read a story about another person who had a head injury and uh, got a lot of ideas from that. And uh, his name was uh, Edward. You must have uh, heard of him, but I'll tell the story without his last name. So Edward uh, had an uh, accident, uh, accident with a um, with a horse carriage. He was in America, but he was originally British. And uh, after the accident, he got a lot of ideas, and he changed his whole career, which is also something quite normal when you have a head injury and that is what happened to me i became a writer because of this accident actually but uh, he started learning the newest technology at the time in 1860 that was photography and one day he met a guy who said i have this question for you i want to know if horses lift all of their uh, legs off the ground while they're running. So uh, Edward said, yeah, I will find out. And he was full of ideas. So he put uh, cameras along the side of the horse racing course and uh, it was a, kind of a small space between all the cameras. And while the horse was riding past it, the cameras were taking pictures. He took all the pictures and put them on <laughs> a big wheel. And then he was taking the wheel very fast. He was running the wheel very fast. And that is, as you may know, it was Edward Newbridge. This is 1872. It was the first film ever made. It's an example of how you can never know the full range of an idea. You can never know what an idea will be or be able to create and uh, it's an example of a person who hit his head <laughs> and, and was full of ideas and of course i had to investigate investigate this further so what happened when i hit my head yes one system in my brain called the executive function which is what we're in now when we're talking when we're very uh, concentrated listening to each other and taking in information from the outside world, that is the executive function. It's all, all of our short-term memories. Uh, it's, we're uh, calculating consequences of our actions. We're in kind of full frontal lobe uh, activity here. But when the executive function is down, we're opening up for a whole other system in the brain called default mode network, which was uh, discovered by a brain researcher called Marcus Rachel. So, like you mentioned, I have a, a really lot of things there. So when we're talking about creativity, in some ways we're talking about the creation of ideas, as you mentioned there. And there's a whole field of research dedicated to studying this. So when people think about coming up with an idea, as you say in your book, 
One of the things that I think most people will think if if somebody says, what do you think when you have an idea or a good idea, let's say that, well, not necessarily actually, or an, a strong idea, let's say that, you have the aha moment and um, that's something that you looked at a lot. So what what do we know about the aha moment? What's going on in our brains when that actually occurs? Yeah, it's a lot of things, actually. The aha moment is very deceptive. So I'll explain that further. But uh, the aha moment feels like a kind of increase in perception. So it feels like something is falling into place. It's like uh, you can compare it to a Tetris moment, you know, when the Tetris pieces just fall down and everything falls into place and it's a straight line there. For a moment, that is kind of the aha moment. Uh, where it, and it feels very comfortable. We love it so much. It's a dopamine rush in the brain. It's uh, also strongly linked to our hippocampus, which is the memory center in the brain, and to thalamus, which is the emotional center in the brain. So it's very emotional, and from that, it becomes very memorable so many people will have a strong memory of where they were exactly when they had their aha moment so it feels also the deceptive part of the aha moment is that it feels very true and that is uh, why we should always investigate further when we have an aha moment because spiritual theories have a tendency to have this aha moment uh, in them, and you will feel that they are very true. So you should uh, you shouldn't trust that true feeling of the aha moment, but it's very strong and it's also kind of paradoxical in a way that uh, it feels good even when you find out something that is very painful. Like for example, you find out that your partner is partner is cheating on you, and in that moment, it feels very good that you kind of suddenly understand all the lies and all the things that doesn't make sense before. You, you understand that in a, a clear moment. Ah, it's because him or her is unfaithful to me. Ah, that explains it all. It feels good, even though it's a very painful uh, realization. So that's the aha moment. <laughs> Have there been any studies on the aha moments? Yes, it, uh, it has. Uh, one of the big studies have been done in Oslo, actually, at the University of uh, Oslo by Rolf Reber. He has collected over 800 aha moments to see what is similar. And uh, he's uh, seen some tendencies. Even though all aha moments are very different, there are some similarities. Women can have more aha moments uh, together with other people, whilst men have more aha moments while alone. And also there's one thing that are, is very interesting to know is that if you're traveling, you will have more aha moments. And uh, that is interesting for two reasons. Uh, you know, the idea of the creative genius that was, uh, it, it has been built, especially by British artists, actually. 
It's like uh, Lord Byron. Yes, you have to say sorry because it's so much untrue about this myth of the creative artist. But, you know, it's Byron and Shelley and Keats and all those guys. They really, they were good at making this uh, myth alive. And um, and they uh, the whole the whole myth contains a lot of elements. Uh, it's melancholia and depression, and it's madness, madness, and it's being uh, outside all the norms and conventions, and it's being male. Uh, I can say just now that it's nothing saying that only uh, male males can be. Men can be creative. There's no kind of structural differences between men's and women's brains, and we have aha moments and ideas all the time. Uh, we try to solve problems all the time, and we have strange and weird thoughts all the time, no matter uh, gender. Also, they had this idea of traveling, so that's the one thing that I could debunk about this myth. It was the traveling part of the artistic genius because when we're traveling we have a lot of ideas and uh, i found out that you don't have to travel far but it's just been a pandemic so i found out i could just travel in my neighborhood <laughs> to have good ideas and to see the world slightly different that is really what's happening when you're traveling you see your life and the world from a different angle and you can do that. Uh, you don't have to go to Greece. Coming off from that, then, what role does curiosity play in the development of creativity? Yeah, that's kind of the most important thing, you know. Curiosity is the thing that brings kind of, it's, it's sort of an antidepressant, really. To be curious, you kind of, you draw the attention out from uh, yourself. You're exploring the world. You're expanding the world. That is such a, a an important thing to. We have to. I think in our culture we are not good enough at uh, protecting curiosity of our children. I I am very worried about the school system here in Norway. And I know it's in most of the Western countries. Children are, and they're they're dropping out of school at a certain age. Here, it's they they're getting tired. They lose their curiosity. I'm really worried. And at the same time, it's a an increase in depression, anxiety, and loneliness among the younger people. That I we can see that. This is happening at the same time, this loss of interest in the world, and at the same time, this increase in depression and anxiety disorders. So I'm, I'm really worried about that, that we're taking away children's curiosity too early. 
eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So another big force that you mentioned that's involved in creativity and in, in thinking and in living in general, really, is this concept known as the inner critic. So what is that? And, you know, what can psychologists tell us about this and its development and its role? After writing the book, I understood more of the inner critic, actually, because I wrote a book about loneliness. And loneliness is a very strong force in us. It is a very high uh, increase in stress, forcing us to go back into the group to try as hard as we can to be accepted by a group and this is a, a very a primitive and early impulse that is uh, implanted in, uh, in us to keep us alive really so when we lived in a very dangerous nature we had to be protected by our group so to seek back into the group is a very strong force and this increased stress levels will feed low uh, impact inflammations that again will give all of our major diseases like heart uh, uh, heart failure, uh, diabetes, depression, autoimmune diseases problems sleeping, all eating disorders, all, uh, yeah, it's kind of uh, driving a lot of diseases because this is such a strong force. So what I understood when I started reading about loneliness is that this force is so strong in us and it will make us do anything to be normal to the group. So that is part of the inner critic, the, the kind of, we wish to be accepted by our group because our bodies and our nerve system, this system hasn't registered internet, you know, doesn't know that internet exists <laughs> and that you can find new friends elsewhere. Uh, you, you just have to rely on that one group. So if you're in a work uh, environment where people are very negative to you, you will do everything to be as normal as possible and try to chip away all of your weirdness. That is one part of the um, inner critic that starts evolving from where five to six years old, we start to really take in what the group is saying about us. Then it's not only the parents and what they say is normal. The other part is we're too efficient. And if we try too hard, to be efficient and 
to a kind of yeah fulfill some kind of plan <laughs> you will be in the executive function in the brain and that takes away from you being in that other system in the brain that i was mentioning earlier the default mode system in the brain which is a system for just aimless <laughs> weird thinking right we just uh follow our own associations and in this system new research shows it's a lot of researchers sitting around the globe just now trying to find out what happens when we're not thinking about anything, just hymnedoming uh, and aimlessly thinking weird thoughts. In this system, we're consolidating memories because memories have, they have to be kind of massaged into our long-term memory to be, become these long-term memories that we can you know, uh, pick up later on, uh, right? Otherwise, they're just going through our brain and never sticking. So, and our memory system is there for a reason that it's there to create visions for the future. So we use our memories to create better visions for the future. That is also creative gold, of course. We need to have a vision all these visions are is also kind of a antidepressant. So when we're depressed, we have problems making these visions. That makes sense. Uh, your life now is a dark tunnel of uh, non-possibilities. Whereas when you're happy, <laughs> you have a, a rich set of memories with a, a lot of detail to them. Research shows. And you can use all these details to make detailed vision for the future. Also in this system in the brain, we are thinking about our place in the hierarchy, our place in the group, our understanding of ourselves and other people, also important for creativity. And when we're not thinking about anything special, the most uh, brilliant ideas fall into our heads. So uh, it's not only uh, like that for me, that when I'm, uh, when I'm biking, for example, I get a lot of ideas. Or when I'm swimming, right? When I'm not thinking about anything special, I'm not stressed. I'm not um, in the executive function. I'm just, you know, in my own head, thinking good thoughts, not activated by the cell phone. When I'm swimming, I can't check my cell phone, so I love that. <laughs> and uh, and the most brilliant ideas fall into our heads. Research shows. Uh, this is a study from University of Santa Barbara. We have a lot of ideas all the time, but the most brilliant ideas uh, comes when we're not trying too hard. Like Edward Newbridge, he didn't try too hard. It wasn't really his idea to transform uh, all of our, our whole media culture, but that was what he did <laughs> when he solved this stupid problem of the horse's legs. Or uh, I'll use another example in my book, which is. Uh, Albert Einstein, he just gave himself an, uh, a problem. <laughs> no one asked him to solve the problem. He gave himself the problem of, can I see my own reflection in a mirror if I'm traveling at light speed? And no one asked him to do this. He was 15 years old. He was just, he was just massaging this problem for 10 years. Until it suddenly, suddenly he got an aha moment out of that problem. And that sudden aha moment 
was the first theory of relativity, right? So I think I think we should kind of uh, cherish more the ability to have a problem and not solve it right away, be able to stay in that problem and have the discomfort of not solving it. Because I'm thinking a lot of the most brilliant things can come from these long kind of thinking about something over a long period of time, staying in the problem, turning and twisting. Uh, in our culture, we are so efficient. We try to solve everything all at once, and we're we, we're not we're not appreciating taking a break. Just not being targeted, right? Being a non-targeted person, it's almost like, yeah, you, you're telling them that they're, they're a bad person. <laughs> if they're not uh, targeted and if they're not efficient. So thinking about that, you, you, you mentioned Einstein there and other, like, as we say, aha moments. Do you think there's really such thing as a genuinely original idea? Yeah, well, I think genuinely original ideas are very rare. So, of course, Einstein, uh, the relativity theory is extremely original. Or the string theory to Hawkins, or it's a lot of brilliant moments in the history of science. But on the other hand, no science, scientist today can do anything without standing on the shoulders of giants. And that comes, uh, that goes for uh, all artists, really. Uh, me myself, I'm uh, I'm living off of being a writer, <laughs> so that's my job uh, to be creative. But still, I wouldn't dare saying that my ideas are original. I never have really original ideas. It's how I put them together. It's how I twist and turn the ideas how I perform the idea, that is my imprint on my book. So my voice is original, but uh, everything I write is kind of based on other people and twisted, their ideas twisted into something else. And I mean, to write about, <laughs> to write a book about creativity, you know, it's thousands of books written about creativity. So the only thing I can hope for is doing it in a, an original way, which I think I did. <laughs> what do we know about how pursuing creative endeavors can benefit us? Uh, in Norwegian, we say double-edged work. Can we say that? Uh, of course, human creativity has brought us where we are today. Here I am sitting in Oslo talking to you uh, in another country, right? Through technology that me, myself, I could never try to make this te technology. This is technology built on uh, other technology that was developed earlier, that was developed on top of other technology. Uh, we're talking thousands of years of evolution for us to be able to sit here and talk like this, right? And we can see each other even, and that's uh, that's crazy. Just that that part is crazy. So that is, of course, progress. On the other hand, I in my book, I had to investigate the, the downside, the, the 
the darkest side of creativity. Our creativity has led us into such a high level of civilization that we're also creating a lot of stress on the, on the environment. And that means we, now is, we are now standing in front of a climate crisis. Uh, we have to be able to solve this crisis together. But the problem with humans are, is that we are so disorganized in a way. We believe in so many different things. We are not kind of marching all together towards the same goal, which is the good part with humankind, that we're, we're so diverse, we're so di uh, different. And uh, we have so many plants and ideas and uh, ways of living. We live everywhere, we eat everything, we kind of, we make all these wonderful cities and at the same time we we need to solve the problem of the climate crisis together and that means we have to be maybe a little bit more organized which is against our nature i think uh, maybe it's not one solution to the climate crisis the same way it wasn't one thing that led us into the climate crisis so we have to at least we have to nourish human creativity still to be able to solve this biggest of all problems, I think. And that is why it worries me so much that the levels of depression and anxiety increase among young people, because we need their brains to create a better future. So is there a, is there a sort of authoritative way of cultivating your own cre creativity through personal actions or perhaps education systems? Well, <laughs> the education system is uh, at fault, I think. Um, more and more we try to squeeze out as good results as fast as possible. Uh, whereas what I found, and I write about this in this book, is how being lost is such an important quality to being creative. Being lost, non-efficient, to take breaks, to shield your own mental health. Uh, the research I, I looked into just recently shows how much depression and trauma is taking away from your creative energy. So that is taking it kind of sucking all of your energy away all of your like joy in life is taken away when you're depressed or uh, tra uh, traumatized or struggling with anxiety or other kind of mental health issues so it will decrease your creative energy so we are always creative always but if you want to nourish your uh, creative creativity you have to take care of your mental health and that means very boring stuff like sleeping in norway now it's 85 percent of youth sleep too little and sleeping too little is a driving force into depression and will take away from all of your cognitive skills really and it's a it's a global thing we are so hooked to our screens that we are never able to sleep properly. So 
so I hope you will. You probably made an episode about sleep earlier. So such a big problem for our mental health and also for our creativity, I think. So uh, taking care of your mental health means sleeping properly seven, eight hours every night. I do that. I'm really meticulous about my sleep. Uh, eating uh, relatively healthy and uh, varied. That is good health. And uh, not, not being too strict about it. Going for walks or just uh, going uh, along the seaside, I found. Because uh, the ocean or water is very linked to creativity. Because <laughs> this is a big uh, science project in Britain. It's called Blue Health. In, a, in the Blue Health project, they asked people to report themselves when they felt happy. This was uh, a task given to 20,000 people in Britain. And uh, the winning place with the landslide was the sea. When we're uh, by the sea, we're very happy. And the researchers uh, have a theory about this. When we're uh, by the sea, our brain goes into the default mode network more easy, easily. So you can uh, achieve this by sitting in the bathtub or uh, having a shower or just being by a lake or a stream. Charged Ludwig Dutchen was sitting on a boat riding up the Thames through Oxford with uh, three children that were nagging him because they were so bored. This was in 1862. They were so bored. They were on this river. And he told the story for the first time of Alice in Wonderland. Uh, One of the biggest best-selling, one of the biggest bestsellers in the history of books. Um, I I would guess almost everyone on the planet knows this story. And it was something he didn't plan. So he was non-efficient. And he was by the sea, uh, by the water on the river. And uh, he was just free to tell this wonderful story. So by the sea is good, or by the water. And uh, yeah, or putting on music, uh, kind of introvert music, has an effect on your default mode brain. You go, you go into this system in the brain where you can just uh, test out your own thoughts, really. Get in touch with your own inner voice. Have this wonderful, good idea. That was Hilda Otsby, author of The Key to Creativity, The Science Behind Ideas, and How Daydreaming Can Change the World. Thank you for listening to this episode of Instant Genius, brought to you from the team by BBC Science Focus magazine. The current issue of BBC Science Focus is out now. Pick up a copy wherever you can buy your favourite magazines, or download a digital copy from your preferred app store, You can, of course, also find us online at sciencefocus.com.